Marini's Media. Hello there. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's Totally Football League show, Extra Time. Uh, I'm Ali Maxwell and on the line with me today to talk through all things EFL is George Ellick. Now, it's been a, a tough week for the EFL, both for its clubs and its fans. And I've certainly felt up and down uh, at different points this week. I think it, it's fair to say. Talking about the football itself sometimes feels a little frivolous when there is a threat to the existence of so many clubs. But I also am finding that I kind of need it at the moment uh, uh, as a distraction of sorts. I think and I hope, George, that today we're going to do a a nice mixture. We're going to talk about the, the very serious implications of the news this week. But we're also going to focus on some of the interesting and exciting football stories from the EFL, which is always so rich with football stories. Yeah, all things EFL is is right because it's important at this time to enjoy the football as it comes. So we've got some stuff on pitch and off pitch. On the pitch, we are very lucky to be joined by Cambridge United head coach Mark Bonner, whose team are 8-0 up on aggregate after the first two games of the League Two season. He's one of the youngest managers in the EFL as well. And not a lot is known about him. So we asked him to fill us in on his backstory too. You and I, Ali, go through our six best games in the EFL this weekend with our sponsors, Paddy Power. And finally, we are very lucky to be joined by the Athletics' Matt Slater, who is an essential person to speak to when there are off-field issues. He understands very well the financial implications and what it means for, for clubs to be losing their matchday revenue at the moment. And I would say anybody who, who doubts the severity of the situation or who wants to learn more about what is going on at the moment in the EFL and why the Premier League and even the Championship compared to League One and League Two are very different cases, should listen to what Matt has to say because I don't think there's really anybody out there doing the work that he's doing who is better equipped to fill us in. You're listening to the Totally Football League show Extra Time with George Ellick and Ali Maxwell, sponsored by Paddy Power. So Matt, last week you wrote a piece in The Athletic titled We Need to Get fans back into grounds or clubs will go to the wall. And, and this was written at a time of, of hope, I guess, with the, with the pilot plan set up for the weekend, which saw seven clubs hosting a 1,000 fans. That's now been shelved alongside any other thoughts of getting fans into stadiums, possibly for six months. I mean, how desperate a situation is it that the EFL and its clubs now find themselves in? Very desperate. I mean, there's no um, there's no point sugarcoating this. This is this is really bad. And I mean, the the piece is interesting in that football. I think saw this coming. So the t- the timing is is really important. So a lot of those interviews were done. Um, Tuesday or Wednesday of last week and I I spoke I think I quoted about seven or eight clubs in the piece but probably heard back from more than ten so maybe about eleven-ish they all sort of said similar things you know ranging from the most extreme which was was the chief executive at Portsmouth Mark Catlin who, who, who made that point about look this is absolutely dire we badly need fans back in all clubs will go to the wall you know ranging then let's, let's say to someone more like Andy Holt at Accrington Stanley who's who's been quite cautious I think through this whole pandemic 
about public health issues really he's sort of taken a very well look you know we just need to be 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 calm you know football is just part of the sort of wider environment economy economy and and society and let's not rush things when you sort of think about those clubs Portsmouth big club you know desperate to, to you know get back to at least the championship large fan base got bought by American owners a, a couple of years ago you know in a, in, a, in a hurry in a rush if you like versus Atkins and Stanley, who have gone bust in their sort of memory. Well, of course, Portsmouth have as well, but Atkins and Stanley, you know, sort of disappeared and have come back the hard way. You know, they talk about the sort of the long road back. You know, Holt is... I mean, he, he's, he's, we, we love him, a sort of football journalist like me, because he's so open and honest and he, you know, he engages with fans and journalists on, on, on social media. He, he runs a tight ship there and he's very honest with everyone about what he's trying to do there, that he is a custodian. He, you know, the last thing he's ever going to do is endanger that club. He takes a very, very sort of more, um, you know, sort of softly, softly approach and will not not be pushed or swayed into, into you know, buying players that they can't afford. So there's a sort of kind of range in personalities, but also in kind of backstories and context involved you know around the clubs and that that is the story of the fl isn't it that's why we love it in that you know there are there are big clubs rich clubs very ambitious clubs clubs with ludicrously wealthy owners and then then clubs right at the other end of the of the spectrum who are still owned by you know the, the you know the local butcher baker candlestick maker you know real throwbacks what they all have in common is a massive cash flow issue you know, they have been operating without match day incomes for six months. And this is a, a very, very different sort of equation for them than it is to Premier League clubs who who make about 15% on average. It does vary from club to club, but about 15% is match day in the Premier League. And they have this wonderful sort of guaranteed, you know, these, these big checks that arrive from the, you know, their huge broadcast deals. That, that's just not the case in the EFL. And the further you go down the pyramid, the bigger that that match day slice becomes. It becomes, it, it, you know, it's at least 30%, you know, kind of across the board, right, getting up to 50% at certain clubs. That's sort of like just the ticketing and pies and beers. The sponsors tend to be local. You know, you don't you don't have Thai telecom partners and uh, Malaysian betting partners at Accrington. You know, you have local sponsors, and they are they are they are advertising to local people, and that means people through the turnstile. So there then is a, a knock on effect on your commercial deals. You might not have a massive online merchandising presence you're not going to be flogging shirts to you know to, to people in Bangalore you, you're selling them to people down the road and that probably means when they come along and they might make an impulse purchase they might buy some garden gnomes because you've won you know that's the sort of thing that, that that makes the difference at League One League Two National League clubs getting people through the turnstiles is what football is about at that level and so many of them have been hanging on you know, the furlough scheme was really, really important. The um, the tax holiday was massively important. But this new season was always going to be this, right, now this is it now. The COVID crisis hasn't really hit us as businesses yet. Now we have to behave like football clubs again. Now we have to pay players. We have to pay staff. We have to get ready to open up and compete. That only works if we can get fans in. And you know, streaming you know, can mitigate some of that, but it it's it's not the answer. The answer is unfortunately fans.
proper, genuine fans that you can touch and feel and hug and, and smell. That's what drives football business. It's what drives the rugby league, rugby union, county cricket as well. We're all in this. Matt, you said early on that clubs kind of saw this coming to an extent. I'm kind of interested in that because there's been this balance for clubs to find between understanding the financial uh, realities of, of the current situation and also trying to um, achieve success on the field and, uh, and and therefore what one thinks one needs to do in terms of squad building in, in that sense. Not that many of the 72 EFL clubs have appeared from the outside to be massively cost-cutting in terms of player wages and in terms of, you know, not bringing players in. Most clubs have been relatively active, if not fully active in the transfer market, you know, not quite mirroring a normal season, but not a million miles off. I mean, has this come as a surprise? You know, that said, it feels almost like everyone just expected October the 1st to come around and fans to be allowed back in uh, and then, you know, everything that they'd planned to happen would happen. Well, yeah, I mean, I'll say a few things on that. So when I, the the point I was making about the surprise was it, it, it was that it was that week. That was the really important thing. That that the, the messaging had been very positive, not just in football, but you know, sport, but but wider as well. You know, we've been encouraged to eat out to help out. The kids had gone back to school. We were being encouraged to go to offices. So, I think there had been a sort of kind of we're through the worst of this. Project Restart worked. Okay, that that really was Premier League Championship. But you know, the League One and League Two playoffs and even National League playoffs went off okay. There weren't masses of you know, um, breakouts of, of infections within clubs. It, we have demonstrated that we are quite good at this as an industry. I think a sort of sense of optimism had been had been growing, encouraged by the government. And, it, you know, it comes back to that old phrase about it's the hope that gets you. So there was an element of that. But, but very quickly, and I think this applies to all of us, about a week or so ago, I think we all kind of thought, oh, hello, the, the weather's changing here. Um, the messaging from government has suddenly swung round. We could all hear and see news reports of, you know, the R number going the wrong way. Football just realised, oh, wait, this isn't going to go the way we hoped. And the pilot projects started to be kind of phased back. It was, it, I mean, that was sort of stop, start a few times. There had been this growing optimism. And then I think that started to change quite quickly and I think the smarter clubs were like oh right and that's when the messaging increased so the the reason I wrote that story that week is you had the very very big clubs talking about it European Club Association so the richest clubs in Europe started talking about it you know sending messages to their governments so you had the chairman of UEFA uh, sorry, Juventus saying, you know, we, we, we're potentially losing billions here. Do not forget the sports industry is so important to the wider economy and blah, blah, blah. And you had the Premier League chipping in a sort of day later, making its pitch. You had the EFL sort of doing it officially. And then you had all these clubs telling me, no, this is massive. We need to speak to MPs. We need to, we need to, we need to inform people that we, like the aviation industry, like pubs and restaurants, are in a, a real, real hole here. And please do not think that we're okay because Chelsea have bought loads of players. That that is not a fair reflection of the industry. Now, to come to your next point about had they obviously been cost cutting, I, I, I think they 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 had, and that we can sometimes sort of. 
you know get get sort of swept up in in you know a few transfers and sort of think all oh, right well you know they're all still carrying on as normal don't forget that they over the summer league 1 and league 2 had voted in salary caps and if you'd have asked me um, if that was possible you know let's say a year or so ago I'd have said absolutely no no chance but but even even you know perhaps at the beginning of this crisis um, I was still hearing a lot of opposition and, you know, oh, let's, you know, let's not do anything rash and let's sort of see how this goes. And, and I'm led to believe that the championship clubs, if it's put to a vote, will would probably bring in salary cap as well. There's, there's a bit of a wider debate about what they want to do with the profitability and sustainability rules, whether they're suspended or they, they're tweaked or whether they remain a part of it. Or there, there's, a, there's sort of wider debate in the championship. The salary cap vote was significant. So there's a cost-cutting measure. Um, like I said, pretty much most of the clubs that we often talk about furloughed through through the period, um, had to come back, had to sort of unfurlough. So um, I, I don't think there has been a huge amount of, 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 if you like, business as usual, because that's the other thing. So many players have been released and the players that are being, you know, the, 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 the deals we're seeing, nearly all of them are freeze, shorter contracts than perhaps have been given out previously. I'm hearing... You know, lots and lots of um, stories about clubs giving out very conditional offers. You know, I, I, I mentioned it in the piece that um, a League One club were giving out almost sort of kind of like, uh, you know, three three possible salaries based on, on, on the way this season will go with, with fans back in stadiums. Um, Mark Palias at Tranmere talked about the, the budget that he's prepared, the budgets that he's prepared, very much based on when they get fans back, how many fans they get back, and you know, and I and I think that's sensible. So that you know, I think that I think there was some optimism, lots of optimism, growing optimism that was then dashed, if you like, quite quickly, and that sort of explains and continues to explain the the dismay out there. But I but I also do think that certainly in League One and League Two, they they have been cutting their cloth, or or, or most of them have been cutting their cloth. Robbie Cowling, who's the Colchester United chairman, said yesterday, um, I, I, however, just so I understand, when I'm having to lay off even more staff, can somebody explain to me again how I can safely sit in a confined aeroplane with 300 other passengers and I can safely eat inside a restaurant or drink inside a pub until 10pm, but I can't safely attend a football match which is predominantly outside and has been certificated as safe by SAG. Now, with this issue, it does feel like for these clubs, there is a feeling of injustice because whilst football as an industry and sport as an industry is also under massive threat alongside the other ones, it doesn't feel like everything is being done to try and make it a safe environment for people to go to. And some people out there who probably don't understand will look at football and think of it as a sport and think of it as a game and think, you know, obviously it's not important. But as we know, these are businesses, these are employers, these are key parts of community and society. So is there any chance that these clubs can go back to the government, a government who might have a bit of a recent history of U-turns, and, and say to them, look, this is important and this is what we should do? Or do we think that ship has probably sailed? No, no, this, the, the, the conversation's ongoing. No, you're absolutely right. So you, let's just use aviation then as an example. So, so over the last few months, what have we seen? We've seen a sort of constant kind of give and take between government 
uh, and and BA and the other big airlines and the big airports where um, something has been announced that would be very restrictive to that industry and would effectively sort of shut it down. The industry has screamed and howled about it, asked for bailouts, and then there's been a kind of softening or a kind of compromise, you know, be it kind of um, air bridges, uh, countries taken off lists, put on on lists. It's, it's, it's an ongoing give and take, and it's, it's, it's the world over, right? So now let's think about football. You know, football had uh, shut down, uh, in March, we then had a sort of kind of you know a restart in June that that only the really you know the, the richest leagues properly took part in. We built over the summer towards a delayed start, but a full start, and a you know a new calendar was prepared and and plans were drawn up um, and lessons learned from from Project Restart and what have you to to introduce fans. And, um, you know, like I said, you know, cost-cutting measures were discussed and, and implemented in, in, in League One and League Two. And, you know, a kind of let's muddle through plan emerged. That plan then gets ripped up quite, quite late because the sort of situation on the ground was changing in terms of pandemic. And now, now we're in that, OK, the industry must now react. And the industry is reacting and saying, we're going to go bust. You might think that just... If you don't like football, okay, I can perhaps live without uh, a football club. But all right, but we are a much bigger part of the economy than you think. We, you know, contribute to the to public coffers in the same way that the pub industry does. We employ hundreds of thousands of people. We're incredibly important to an awful lot of people. So no, the, the conversation is not over. Um, they. We know that there's sort of this ongoing conversation with the Premier League because, you know, government and Whitehall is getting this from every sector and there is always a, a limit on what it can do. And it, what it likes to do is work with sectors. You know, what do you what can you do? Can you meet us halfway? What can you do to cut your costs and be sensible? What can what can you do? There's some, there's some people over there that seem to be very, very rich and are doing OK. Can you distribute your money better? So that is the Premier League conversation, isn't it? You know, what? Is this the time finally where we can sort of rediscuss and the, the, the last twenty five years, thirty years? You know, why why is all that money at the top of the game? Is it really flowing down in the way that it used to? In the way that it perhaps should? I think they will be talking about maybe government backed loans because any government intervention in a industrial sector right now is clearly temporary and is clearly about saving good businesses and saving things that we value as a society. And I think football ticks those boxes. Think about all the pubs and cafes and think about sort of the excitement and hubbub around a, around a, around a, a ground on a match day. All those businesses are, are impacted. Football as an industry has every right, has absolutely every right to be petitioning and lobbying government for help. But equally government does have every duty, I would say, to say, okay, Let's keep talking about it. What, what what can you do? What are you doing to mitigate these problems? And let's see if we can come up with a solution together. And that's 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 what's going on right now. So you know there, there is some hope that the conversation is definitely not over. It's just a really really hard conversation. A tough question to ask and a very tough one to answer. But you are well placed and very well qualified to to attempt it. Uh, we we keep hearing that without financial support, 
Uh, and if fans are not going to be flocking back into stadia, clubs will go to the wall uh, and that the dominoes will start to fall, I believe was, was a quote from your piece. Uh, it's become widely accepted that this is the case. I think a lot of people, myself included, are curious to know things like which clubs, how many clubs, and when will this happen should the circumstances not change? Uh, and I suppose also a curiosity of how will it come to pass? Will a club just announce that they can't possibly continue trading and shut down there and then? Would you be able to ex- try, try and tackle some of those questions? Well, you're right. This is, this is the hard one. And, and um, it's, it's, it's always been quite interesting and I think revealing that throughout this whole process, so you know, going right back to March, whenever I've been talking to clubs about this and, and been hearing these very gloomy um, predictions of, of, of the industry, they, they nearly always say, oh, but I think we'll be okay. Because the follow-up is always, oh, right, so, so you know, how, things, how are you getting on? Oh, we'll be okay because we've been, um, you know, we've been, you know, we've got a little bit of a rainy day fund and we, um, we're, we're well run and et cetera, et cetera. So there is a little bit of sort of... Um, shrieking and uh, you know you know it's all bad but we're okay no 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 one has ever really said to me oh no 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 it's us no no we we are two weeks away um the next bill is going to put us over the edge um now maybe it's because those clubs don't talk about it there are some obvious candidates aren't they because they're going through it right now you know maxfield town i know that they went down into the national league but but were an efl club as of a few weeks ago um South End United have got a few more weeks now to to find their tax, um, you know their their long-standing tax bill. There's you know there's a, you know there's a couple of candidates there, and there there are a few others that we know have been have been in really poor shape before this started. And don't forget, I don't need to remind any of you or your listeners, Berry and Bolton. You know Berry Berry collapsed last year, and Bolton very nearly followed them, really close. Um, so. The financial situation in, in, in League 2, League 1 and the Championship was not that great coming into this. And you then have this existential crisis that, that, you know, common sense would say is going to put a massive amount of stress on the system. As I explained before, the last six months haven't, haven't really added to that. In fact, many of these crisis clubs... Have, have have not their situation hasn't really changed. It certainly hasn't got worse, but that's because they, they pulled the shutters down. That they almost stopped trading, they, which was good for them because trading means more losses. It's what's happening now, and this is where you get into the the, the hard bit. Okay, where, who, how? The you know, the, the the doom scenario is is pretty obvious. It's kind of contagion in the same way that coronavirus you know passes around. You know, a, a club just cannot meet its bills, cannot fulfil its fixtures, goes bust. Well, what what money do they owe other clubs on transfer fees? What money do they owe other clubs on um, loan fees? Had anyone, let's say, what does that mean in terms of fixtures? Um, have they started the season? Well, you know, pretty much all of them have, apart from the National League. So already there's issues there about rejigging fixtures. You have competitive integrity issues. Had anyone booked anything? Already, you know, it, 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 we had this last season with, you know, with Macclesfield defaulting on fixtures and with Bolton last season and the season before. And it, there are knock-on effects. And already those travel costs are higher now because clubs are having to take things like two coaches or book twice as many hotel rooms because you've got all got to be distanced. Um, everything's got a bit more expensive and a bit more fiddly now. Um, 
yeah, you know, it just it's this it's this issue of if one goes, a couple could go. We don't know how many. We we all, you know, without potentially libeling anyone or being rude, we, we, we know the clubs that were right up against it because they were the clubs we were talking about in January and February. Things haven't got better for those clubs. They might not have got immediately worse because they furloughed and didn't pay tax legally for, for a few months, but they're having to pay tax now. They're all having to make time to pay um, agreements with HMRC right now, and they're all having to hire players again and unfurlow their press officer and you know the person that cuts the grass and they're trying to open up their shop. That all makes sense when people are coming. But if they're not coming, that's when it gets impossible. Do you think in the form of either financial support or in the form of a relaxing of the rules, do you think we'll see some news in the coming weeks? And if it is in the case of financial support, I mean, where do we expect that to come from? They've already pretty much relaxed um, FFP rules, profitability, sustainability rules. I think I think all of that's going to just have to be kind of almost put, put to one side for a bit. There is a very um, intense complicated conversation going along with the Premier League because yes the Premier League has money and yes everyone has pointed out your some of your clubs are still spending big the Premier League is fighting on several fronts I mean it's sort of saying well look we have to remain competitive we um, you know we, we're doing we're spending these 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 figures because we are we have to make carry on as businesses and people watch on telly because of the products we have on the field. You know, we have been so successful. We have become the world's most popular domestic football league because we invest in players. If we stop doing that, well then we lose our USP. What's good for our clubs is 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 good for is good for the football industry. What's good for leading companies tends to be big tends to be good news for the sector. That is sort of the Premier League's point of view. But if government are going to help the Premier League, they want the Premier League to help the rest of football. So I think that will happen. Now, will it be uh, grants, which is what EFL clubs want, because they don't want more debt. They've already had their advances on TV money. They've already had, they've already, they've already taken as many loans as they can get, which isn't many because high street lenders aren't lending to them. They would take a loan as opposed to nothing, though. So I think it will be, you know, maybe a little bit of grants. If there's any money available, it will be probably more like very low interest loans, maybe even interest-free loans. There might be an element of government input into that loan pot or government guarantees, or maybe it's a commercial loan that is guaranteed by the Premier League at amazing rates. Well, the, this is all to be discussed, but I, you know, I, I think a rescue package is coming. Whether it will be as much and as great and as good as the clubs want it to be, no, I, I, I don't. You know, I, I just don't think we're in that. I just don't think we're in that sort of place. I don't think anything is going to be as great as we hope and want it to be at the moment. But, but will it be better than nothing? Yes, yes, I, I absolutely do believe it'll be better than nothing. And, and will it prevent clubs from going to the wall? I hope so. I really do. So we will. We will see. I, I am not so pessimistic that I think we're going to lose loads of clubs. I don't think we have to lose loads of clubs. I think it's possible we could lose clubs, but it's not yet probable and we can still get out of this. 
a great way to, to finish. Thank you, as always, Matt, so much for your time, but also the, the wealth of information uh, and for being able to explain a lot of uh, very tough situations to us. Thank you so much for joining us. No problem at all. For the rest of this month, this month being September 2020, you can take out a subscription to The Athletic for the frankly ridiculous price of just £1 a month. That's unrivaled football writing and analysis from the very best people in the business, a brand spanking new breaking news service and ad-free versions of each Athletic podcast, all for just £1 a month. Go to theathletic.com slash league show to get started. Right, time to pivot, time to swivel our focus onto on-field goings-on in the EFL. We've had two league game weeks so far. We're approaching the third, and I think it's fair to say that there's one team that has really caught the eye in League Two. Cambridge United uh, have won 3-0, and they followed that up with a 5-0 win last weekend. We wanted to find out more about this team and this manager, so we caught up with him. Mark Bonner on the phone here. So delighted to be joined by Cambridge United head coach Mark Bonner. And Mark, we're told in the early stages of the season not to look at the table. It doesn't matter, but I'm pretty sure you'd have stolen a glance because you're currently top of the table. You've scored eight goals, conceded none. That's scoring more goals than any other team in the top four tiers. And this is all on the back of your first pre-season as an EFL manager, which it's fair to say wasn't like any other pre-season we've seen. So how do you look back on the early part of the season and reflect on it. To us, the league table always matters. We're obviously going to say that right now, but it, it does matter in the fact that it's a reflection of the results that we've had. But but what is important is you can't read into where the table's going to look in 46 games by looking at it now. And we've always said that probably the start period for us is, is a 10-game period. And we'll have to evaluate whether we've had a really strong start after 10 games. What we can say is we've had an excellent beginning to the start. We're delighted with the performances and the results that we've had, but you can't take those for granted, how hard we've had to work to get them and how ruthless we've had to be in our preparation and our performances to get those results. So we certainly look at it and say there's some really encouraging signs, but we've got a group of players that like challenge and and have got lots of development left in them in many cases. And we're very early on in our cycle as a new team. So we know we've got lots of improving to do. Um, and that might not always reflect in the results, but in the process and, and the way in which we want to play, there's lots more to come from us yet. And hopefully that's reflected by the league table as the weeks and months tick on. Mark, I'm really interested to know how, as a manager, you analyse your own side, especially when you're winning. That It's often said you, you, you can learn more maybe in defeat because it's obvious where you can improve. But of course, when you're winning as well, there will always be things that you need to improve on. To start with, what are the parts of the performances so far that have pleased you the most? And then I suppose the second part of that is what are the areas that even in victory, you've sort of isolated as needing to work hard on to make sure you continue this form? the results would say that we've been very good in both penalty areas and we've been ruthless in those. But by the same token, we know that between the boxes and in general play, we can we can try to be better with the ball and maintain possession for longer periods. And we can make sure that in the periods where the opposition have the ball and have their momentum and their spells, we're limiting the number of chances on our goal. So there's a, there's a lot of things in there that lead to improvement. We've got lots of younger players, some playing in the Football League for the first time. Uh, it's their first full season. Some who 
perhaps have dipped in the last couple of years from the level we think they've got in them. So individually, there's certainly lots of improvements to make technically and tactically and just adjusting to our way of playing. And we want to be able to add more variety to our game as we develop. So there's loads to learn in, in the victories. And sometimes I think that's the best time to learn because people are open-minded, people listen, people want to improve, people want to keep doing better, keep improving, uh, keep winning. And sometimes minds become a little bit closed and fear starts to creep in if it isn't going so well. Because ultimately the only thing you have to do after a defeat is respond and react. And when you're doing well, work out why you're doing well and keep doing it. You're one of the youngest managers in the EFL, um, I think age 34, if my current um, research is up to date. But you've got one of the older statesmen in the leagues in Wes Houlihan, who's, who's 38 years old, playing for you this season. And it was clear to see with his goal and his performance in the 5-0 win at Morecambe on the weekend that he's still got that bit of quality, got that bit of edge, uh, technical ability above the others in the league. I mean, what's it like to be working with a player who's achieved so much uh, and can offer so much to the uh, to the side, both technically and, and in terms of his experience. Yeah, it's, it's great for all of us. You know, it, he, he showed his level this weekend that he can add to add to our team. Um, I think a lot of older players say you never lose that that touch and that technique and the class that you've got. Uh, sometimes it might be the physical element that that suffers, and sometimes it might be the motivation. And, and what we're seeing at the moment is he's getting fitter, he's getting stronger, uh, he, he's showing himself to be more durable. So we're really confident that he can really add value over the whole season. And of course, we'll have to manage him appropriately to get him to do that. But there's certainly not a, not a dip at all in his motivation or his enthusiasm. He's like any of our younger players, loves coming in, loves playing, really enjoyed the game at the weekend. And he showed us what he can add And around the building and as a role model and an example to everybody. Uh, he's excellent and his focus is on being a footballer and, and playing and uh, making our team better and that's a really good point and a really good signing for us because of those things. Mark, this is an unusual one but uh, f for us uh, we inhabit a space online that is full of uh, passionate EFL fans that support their own clubs but who are fascinated by the leagues in general and, and that mirrors our own interests as well. So certainly during pre-season when we were doing our research and trying to learn as much as we can about the managers heading into the season, um, I stumbled across what I think is a huge oversight which is that you don't have a Wikipedia page and you're the only one of the 92 uh, top four tier managers that doesn't have uh, their own Wikipedia page um, and actually over the summer Mark Bonner who's a former player 46 year old who played for Blackpool and Cardiff was being credited as being Cambridge United manager when he wasn't the case um, that's been cleared up but there's still not a huge amount of information about yourself online so to turn that sort of slightly whimsical point into a serious one uh, it'd be great to understand a, a bit more about you if you don't mind and um, f for, for the people listening who'd like to to learn a little more about yourself as well could you give us an idea of your background your, your football life up to this point uh, of becoming appointed Cambridge United head coach the, the alternative Mark Bonner who had an excellent playing career um, has been uh put down as Cambridge United manager even in away teams programs a number of times over the last six months so <laughs> we get quite a bit of humour out of that being the being the nobody Mark Bonner suits me just far and in terms of my journey to this point I've been in the club 10 years I've worked my way through the academy uh, it's my second spell here I spent six years at the academy at Southend United um, and I've been academy manager and taken the under 18s worked with the 21s first team coach assistant manager for a few different spells and I've worked under Richard Money Sean Derry uh, Joe Dunn, Colin Calderwood, all of which have been great to me and for me to learn off of. And then obviously when I was assistant to, to Colin at the end of last season or midway through, when the decision was made for Colin to move move on from the club, that was a, 
a real kick for all of us and we had to recover really quickly and I ended up taking the team and we had a good spell for a couple of games and uh, made it clear that I saw this as an opportunity for me to to take over the role and and try and lead the club through this period and um, was was really grateful to, to get the opportunity. About five days after I was offered the job, we went into a national lockdown. So it's been a, it's been a very strange period as head coach, but one that I'm really enjoying. Mark, it's great to be able to speak to you about on-pitch stuff, especially speaking to the manager of a side who've started so well. But we've got to ask you about what's going on off the pitch, of course, with the news in the last couple of days that the pilot scheme to get fans back into stadiums has been put on hold, that there's been a six-month time frame on possibly having fans back at games at all. As manager of a club in League Two, where it feels like the whole existence of both the leagues and certain clubs depends on getting match day revenue back into the clubs, how are you feeling about the current situation? Yeah, I mean, I guess I can't speak so much into the economics of things other than to say that clubs at our level, um, you know, probably all levels of the professional game and certainly the National League and non-league level, um, but, you know, there's every area of society and all sports that need need some sort of financial support because to survive without our major source of income is very, very difficult. Um, we, we've got fantastic owner and board of directors that will really help us through this period. But, of course, we need people into the, into the stadium from an economic standpoint. But, but secondly, professional sport doesn't exist for... The whole point is as an inter- entertainment game. You know, stadiums are built for people to be in and we want we want the atmosphere in grounds and we want people there and and hopefully people can stay engaged with us while the I follow content is out there and they can watch the games by streaming them. Uh, but certainly we we need to hope that this virus gets under control quickly and that we can return to those piloting events and, and getting people back into the grounds as soon as possible because certainly there'll be a fear and an anxiety in a lot of clubs that, that a further six months with no income is uh, is going to be a very, very challenging situation. Mark, thank you so much for, for joining us on the podcast today. We wish you the best of luck against Tranmere on Saturday, hoping for a, another clean sheet, maybe some more Houlihan defence splitting through balls and a, a couple more Cruyff turns from Mullen in the opposition area. Th- thanks so much. My pleasure. Thanks a lot. Listeners, how's your hairline doing in this fine year of 2020? Well, Despite being from a long line of follically challenged males, I am, at the age of 40, still blessed with a full head of hair, with no need for a Jack Charlton comb-over or any evidence of a looming Attilio Lombardo situation up top. Now, some of you may not be so lucky, and some of you may not wish to rock the look that our very own James Richardson has perfected over the last two decades. So that's where Hims comes in. Hims provides an easy-to-use, trustworthy and science-backed service for men suffering from hair loss, helping men to be the very best versions of themselves by connecting them with licensed healthcare providers to help with hair loss problems. With Hims, there are no more awkward in-person doctor visits or hushed conversations at the pharmacy. You get a proper online appointment and some sound advice on what you can do to help your hair before it's too late. All you have to do is head to 4hims.co.uk slash athletic to start your free consultation today and check out the full details and all their safety information. That's 4hims, F-O-R-H-I-M-S.co.uk slash athletic. One more time, 4hims.co.uk slash athletic. You're listening to the Totally Football League show Extra Time with George Ellick and Ali Maxwell, sponsored by Paddy Power. Okay, well, why don't we take a quick look ahead at the EFL weekend with the help of our sponsors, Paddy Power. We're going to each pick 
a game of the weekend for each division. You can decide based on how we talk about them, which games are in fact the game of the weekend. Uh, I'll start, if you'll allow me, George, with Bournemouth and Norwich. These are two teams in the Championship who have just come down from the Premier League. They are two sides with four points from their two games, having won on opening day and drawn last weekend. And look, both of their victories were tight opening day wins and they followed those up with, to be honest, quite poor performances in drawing with Borough uh, as Bournemouth did and Preston as Norwich did respectively last weekend. Both of them have shown the sort of flashes of quality, individual quality especially, that we'd expect based on the players on the pitch. For example, Bournemouth's starting front three last week of David Brooks, Dom Solanke and Dan Juma, they are showing flashes of quality. But so far, neither side are putting together the complete performance. And that's not surprising. We've seen this before with relegated sides. We allow them a bit of time to get going. I would say that both sides have shown the defensive lapses, which with that attacking quality as well, means I think this could be quite an exciting game with with plenty of goals scored. Uh, I would say the early signs are that none of the relegated sides, Bournemouth, Norwich or Watford, are going to be a Huddersfield of last season or a Sunderland from from a few seasons ago or a Stoke uh, in, in that they will really struggle to make an impact on this league. I think they will all likely be top half teams based on what we've seen so far but I think two games in it's hard to go too much further than that there's still a lot that we will learn about these sides uh, and starting this weekend as they go head to head Bournemouth and Norwich two teams that want to play on the front foot and based on what I've seen so far I think this will be a very entertaining and quite close game and the one that I'm most looking forward to in terms of the odds well Paddy Power thinks that Bournemouth have the best chance of winning. They are seven to five favourites. Norwich nine to five, and the draw twenty three to ten. George, you're going to talk about the the other relegated side in Watford. Yes, the the M1 derby, if we can call it that. Watford oh, yes. against Luton, such a big derby this one. It's been moved to a twelve thirty kickoff on Saturday, despite the fact there are going to be no fans. So I'm not quite sure why that's happened. But either way, these two teams don't historically like each other. And interestingly, Luton actually have a better record in this derby. Although in recent meetings, that hasn't been the case with Watford having the upper hand. But they haven't played each other since 2006. So 14 years, these two teams have been starved of each other's company. Luton haven't won in their last nine against Watford, although they did knock them out of the Worthington Cup back in 2002 at Vicarage Road. That was the last time that they did beat them. And it's been a very different start for these two sides. Despite Watford being unbeaten and on four points, they haven't really performed at the levels that people were expecting with functional displays rather than anything particularly exciting. Uh, some of the key players we expected to see playing in the Championship have been absent. Uh, Estupinan has gone uh, has left the club. Luis Suarez, the striker, is set to leave back to La Liga as well. And the likes of Troy Deeney, just conspicuous in their absence, it's fair to say, too. Although we could see James Garner's first league start for Watford, Deloney in from Manchester United, who a lot of fans, at least at Old Trafford, are very excited about his future. With Luton, the season couldn't really have started better under Nathan Jones, at least in the league. They beat Barnsley 1-0 away from home on opening day. They then beat Derby 2-1 at home as well. So they're one of the three teams 
with maximum points at the top end of the table at the moment. Although it does feel like this one is going to be a little bit trickier and the odds reflect that. Watford 4-6 to six to win the game, so heavy odds on favourites. The draw 13-5, to five. Luton 4-1, to one. although it's fair to say had this game been the opening game of the season, Watford probably would have been a fair bit shorter as well. And Luton enjoying a ridiculous run of scoring with their only shots on target. So maybe running a little bit hot as well, although with James Collins playing up front, one of the most clinical strikers in the league, maybe they can continue that form. But fair to say, everything in the balance here, a game between two sides who really don't like each other. Uh, just a shame there won't be any fans there to see it. In League One, I think the game that's most interesting is Crew Alexandra against MK Dons. The reason I think it's most interesting in this division is neither of these sides have won yet in their opening two games, but I think both of them have performed pretty well in their two league games so far without much reward. For, for Crew Alex, obviously promoted from League Two last year, everything has gone fairly well outside of both boxes, but they're in the league above this season and they will be punished more heavily for sloppiness. We've seen some poor composure and some poor finishing that's let them down going forward in both games. And for all three goals they've conceded against Charlton and Hull, you could definitely point some fingers at some of the defensive slippage, if you will. Um, they are the young team in the league they kept hold of so many of those talents that we waxed lyrical about last season in league two but they'll spend a lot of time without the ball against MK Dons and they need to be more clinical when they get it and more sturdy when defending why will they spend so much time without the ball well the early signs are that Russell Martin wants as much possession as possible for this MK Dons side in their first two games of the season they've averaged 69% possession which is the highest in league one they drew with Doncaster on opening day in a even game and then were defeated by Lincoln in another even game marred by refereeing mishaps. For all that possession, MK Don's big issue so far is they haven't translated that into enough opportunities in and around the opposition box and there is a, a sense that they could probably still do with a more prolific goal threat after Reese Healy left for Toulouse but they have got a player that I'm keeping a very close eye on in Bailey Cargill. He's playing on the left of a back three and he's proper overlapping centre-back territory here. He's been carrying the ball forward. He's taken four shots already this season, all from inside the opposition box, three of them from open play. So he's bombing on uh, and teams are finding it quite hard to, to deal with that threat. For both of these sides, look, no wins, but both of their games have been tight so far. Neither of them have come out on the right side of it. And while I'd say that the performances don't concern me, sometimes at the start of the season, you say that and you say it won't last forever and that, and that results will come. But the longer a team goes on without a win to start the season, the, the more concern and impatience can set in and potentially affect the psyche of that club going forward. So it's a big game for both sides. Crew, six to five favourites at home, 23 to 10 the draw, and MK Dons, 21 to 10 to win this one. Is it too early for a promotion six pointer, Ali? I think it probably is. But looking at Paddy Power's odds, Sunderland are the favourites for League One at 5-1 to one, and Peterborough are the second favourites at 13-2. to two. And it's those two teams who face each other at the Stadium of Light on Saturday. And Sunderland, the home team, are the favourites, as you'd expect, given the home advantage at 10-11. to 11, Odds on favourites, 5-2 to two the draw, 13-5 to five, Peterborough. And Sunderland is an interesting case here because you've got Phil Parkinson, a manager who came in halfway through last season, who has a reputation for not playing particularly exciting football, who struggled to win around the fans last season despite picking up more points from January the 1st until the break in mid-March than any other team in the league. And in their first game of the season, at home to Bristol Rovers, 
They huffed and puffed to a one-all draw in a game where they created by far and away the best chances. But again, the criticism was incoming from Sunderland fans, many asking for a change of manager already. But on Saturday, it was a much improved result and another good performance, beating Oxford 2-0 at the Kassam Stadium. Chris Maguire was in great form, new signing Aidan O'Brien looking very lively indeed. Still struggles in front of goal for Charlie Wyke and Will Grigg and Danny Graham, yet to have a shot so far since joining in the summer from Blackburn. But Peterborough's season also looked to be heading for a difficult start. They lost their first game 2-0 away at Accrington Stanley. They were then 1-0 down into injury time at home to Fleetwood before two very late goals. The winner coming from new signing Sammy Smodix re-railed their season and they'll be coming into this hoping to put a marker down for the campaign. And I guess that's what is important here. This is a chance for both teams to show each other what they're all about, to get first run on the other one because we can be pretty sure these are going to be two sides fighting at the top end of the table and maybe just to show the rest of the league as well what they're all about so I'd expect the winner of this game to be one of the teams who we'll be talking about in the next few weeks as being the ones hopeful to be right at the top end of the table at this early stage really really nice use of the word re-railed there I've noted that down <laughs> I will be using that in future pods I'm going to talk about Salford against Forest Green which I think's the most interesting game in League Two this weekend. Uh, two sides with very wealthy ownership who appear to have them fairly well protected against current concerns. Certainly neither of them holding back in the transfer market this summer uh, and both of them strengthening their squad pretty significantly. Uh, both sides on four points after two games and Forest Green, I just, they were so disappointing last season uh, with the way that they fell away and the way that they didn't back up what had been a playoff uh, campaign, a playoff appearance the, the season before. But I just feel like that might have been a bit of an aberration and that generally the level of this club is towards the top of League Two. And I think they might be set for that this season. The squad looks really strong. I, I like pretty much every single part of it. I think the main question at the moment is whether Jamil Matt and Aaron Collins and other strikers in the squad are good enough to score enough goals, finish enough chances to have them right up there. I think personally, once those two click, especially Collins, who had a brilliant finish last weekend, I do think they can be uh, a really good front two at this level. Uh, and from a Salford perspective, yeah, four points from two games, but I think it's easy to be blinded by a 4-0 win at Grimsby last weekend. Three of the goals were penalties. Grimsby had a man sent off and, and really, really gave them a lot of opportunities at the back. But even with Ian Henderson scoring four goals in his first two league games, I've not been that impressed with Salford uh, and the performances. Certainly defensively, they've given up a lot of chances in their two games to Exeter and Grimsby. So, I mean, they, they are the favourites for this game. They were one of the favourites, one of the two favourites for the title pre-season. So maybe it's not surprising, but they're even money to beat Forest Green this weekend with, with Paddy Power. 12-5 to five the draw and 5-2 to two on Forest Green. I just have a feeling that Forest Green can make things pretty tough for Salford this weekend. I don't think it's quite as cut and dried as Salford being, uh, being strong favourites. So I'll be keeping a very close eye on this game. Uh, what about you in League Two, George? Yeah, League Two opposites attract two sides who've had very, very different starts to the season, very different clubs, very different pre-seasons very different managers in Bolton you have the big club coming down they shouldn't be in League 2 they won't want to spend much time here and a manager in Ian Everett with a burgeoning reputation having joined from Barrow uh, over the summer having led them to promotion said to play an exciting brand of football bookies favourites before the season started with Paddy Power 
but it hasn't really clicked. They've lost their four games in all competitions. It's a whole new team. It's a whole new side that, Evans, that Everett is trying to work with. And the starts against Forest Green and Colchester, not the easiest, but they do start the season on naught points from two. But in Newport, it's completely the opposite. In, one, in Michael Flynn, we have a manager who's been there for a few seasons. It's a team who we've seen before, very few additions in the summer as well, and unfancied by most, despite a playoff final defeat just over a year ago against Tranmere Rovers. And they've started the season brilliantly, an absolutely electric start, four points from their first two games, knocking out Watford in the EFL Cup midweek as well. A Watford side that wasn't as poor as some Watford fans would have you believe on Twitter, Ali. But they only managed three shots against a Newport side that went ahead early, just showing the defensive solidity that Michael Flynn's side is showing. And we associate this this uh, Newport County side with a fairly attritional brand of football, but no longer. Flynn has changed the playing style over the summer, now keeping the ball at the back, dominating possession and taking the approach that if we have the ball, the opposition, the opposition are going to struggle to score. So rip up everything you know about both Bolton and Newport coming into this one, although the odds do go with the normal narrative, despite the good start that we've seen from Newport. Bolton are the 5-4 to four favourites uh, and Newport County 11-5, to five, the draw 23-10 to 10 with Paddies. So not going by the form book Paddy Power, but Newport coming to this is maybe going a little bit under the radar. I think after a, a tough week in the news for football and the lower leagues especially, uh, this will be, these games and other games across all three leagues will be a welcome distraction this weekend. They will be covered, no doubt, by the guys on the Totally Football League show on Monday. So make sure you're subscribed to this feed to hear everything that they have to say about the weekend action. And that's it from us this week. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. We hope you got plenty from our chat with Matt Slater and with Mark Bonner, of course. Thank you for listening and do join us again next week. You've been listening to the Totally Football League show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and following at the Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all the Athletics football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. Totally Football League Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. Muddy Knees Media.